Okay, Beruchim Abayim. Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 50. We're actually going a little bit off course today. We are in the middle of discussing the subject of pleasures. But right now on my mind is a different subject, which I know is going to come up in Simha, so we're going to stick it in over here. Moshe Rabbeinu is praying for a new leader for Am Yisrael. You see, by the way, that even when it comes to what Hashem is going to do, Hashem is going to appoint a new leader, but it is the responsibility of a leader to make sure that the next leader is the right fit. Which means if Moshe Rabbeinu is leading the Jewish people and Hashem says, okay, it's time to go, he can't just leave and leave a vacuum. Part of a leader's job is to make sure that there's another leader that's going to come after him, that is equipped and ready to do the job. Leadership doesn't end when the job ends. You have to make sure that somebody is going to follow you. And part of that making sure, part of that hishtadlut of the effort is actually praying. Hishtadlut in prayers is one of the important things that we do. Just like when we go to work, we have to work, but we have to pray. Here also, Moshe Rabbeinu is praying to Hashem. Vaidaber Moshe el Adonai Lemor. That's unusual. Usually we see Vaidaber Hashem el Moshe Lemor. Here, Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking to Hashem and he's pleading with him and he's making a request. He says like this Yifkod Adonai Elohe Haruhot Lechol Basar Ish al Haeda. He says, Hashem, please appoint a person who is going to be leading this nation. But when he describes Hashem, he doesn't just say, God, please appoint this person. He gives God a description. He doesn't turn to Hashem like we do and say, Baruch Atah Monai. He says, Hashem, you are... Elohe Haruhot Lechol Basar. You are the God of the spirits of each flesh, which we don't even know what that means. But he's describing Hashem as Elohe Haruhot, the God of the spirits, Lechol Basar, of each flesh. We have to get back to that to understand what that means. But anyway, he prays to Hashem that he should send them a leader that's going to go out in front of them, that's going to lead them, that's going to be with them. And he ends off and he says, Velo adat Adonai katzon asher en lahem He says, please let the Jewish people not be like sheep, 
Because sheep don't have a shepherd. Hashem, please, the Jewish people should not be like the sheep. Hashem, send them a shepherd. Just on that last point, before we go to our main point, what does it mean that sheep don't have a shepherd? The actual, the word shepherd comes from the word sheep. Probably the most classic example of a leader is a shepherd who leads the sheep. But the Pasuk says that Moshe Rabbeinu says, please Hashem, please let them not be like sheep. Because sheep don't have a ro'eh, they don't have a shepherd. What does that mean? The answer is that the shepherd who leads the sheep is not leading the sheep for the sheep. The reason why there's a shepherd to the sheep is because he needs the sheep for himself. He needs to eat from the sheep. He needs to take wool from the sheep. So he is leading the sheep not for them, but for himself. Moshe Rabbeinu knows there's going to be a leader to Am Yisrael. That's not what he's praying for. He's praying that they should be a leader for them. Asher en lahem The sheep don't have... A shepherd, usually, the shepherd is not concerned about the sheep. He's concerned about himself and what the sheep can do for him. That type of leadership in Am Yisrael is destructive. Moshe Rabbeinu is pleading with Hashem that the leader of Am Yisrael should not be a person running for office because he needs the people to give him power and to give him honor and all that comes with leadership. That's not the type of leader that's going to advance Am Yisrael. We need a, a leader that's going to be interested in the sheep, in the people. That was Moshe Rabbeinu's begging plea to Hashem. So let's go back. Why before asking this question and pleading with Hashem, does he give an introduction and he describes God as the king of the spirits, the God of spirits, to basar, to the meat. Perhaps we can explain something that's very relevant to all of us. When we look at a human body, at a human being, the human being is no more than basar. It's no more than meat. As we all know, that meat has no power. Meat cannot build. Meat cannot lead. Meat cannot accomplish. The next time you look at a piece of meat, ask yourself, what is this meat capable of accomplishing? And of course, the obvious answer is nothing. Moshe Rabbeinu, in describing Hashem, is actually helping us also describe ourselves. That we, humans, are just a piece of meat. But it's a piece of meat if, that, if it has Hashem's spirit inside of that meat, if Hashem will be sending ruach to our meat, what does it mean to send ruach? It means to send us 
talent. It means to send us ability. It means to send us opportunities. If Hashem would send Ruach to the Basar, that's called us, then we will be capable of so much more in our lives. That's why when Moshe Rabbeinu is coming to ask for a leader, he says to Hashem, I know ultimately you are the one that gives the Ruach. You're the one that gives that ability to lead and to succeed and to accomplish. We need a person that's going to be fit for you to send them that Ruach. Which means, how does Hashem decide who to send the Ruach to? Will I have the Ruach to be able to accomplish? Will you have the Ruach to be able to accomplish? Ruach again means health, it means strength, it means ability, it means talent, it means making good decisions, it means being able to carry things physically or emotionally. All that is called Ruach. When Hashem sees your meat and my meat, does He put Ruach in that meat? Or what is the criteria for that? To put the Ruach inside. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm not looking for a talented man. I'm not looking for a great speaker. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu himself was not a great speaker. I'm not looking for someone who is good looking. I'm not looking for someone popular. I'm looking for someone that you will put your Ruach into his Basar. Because if you have a person that Hashem puts his ruach in him, he's going to be very matzliach. This is the prayer of Moshe Rabbeinu. The prayer itself gives us a lot of information about what it takes not only to be a leader, but to be successful in anything in life. We need Hashem's ruach. We need Hashem to give us that ability to succeed. To whom does Hashem give that ability? I want that Ruach. I'm sure everybody here wants that Ruach. Who doesn't want a Ruach that makes them able to succeed in whatever they do? We need a Ruach to succeed with our children. We need Ruach to succeed with our marriages. We need Ruach to succeed in our relationships. We need Ruach to succeed in our businesses. We need Ruach to succeed in our community. We need Ruach to succeed in our classrooms. When there's Ruach that Hashem sends you, you cannot fail. But the obvious question is, how do you get that Ruach? Is it a lottery? How does it work? Is it luck? Is it something within my ability to get Hashem's Ruach? So let me share with you a pasuk that also talks about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, this subject that I'm discussing now, is when Am Yisrael in the desert, you have to imagine millions of people, they're complaining that they're tired of the man, they want meat. They want to have a barbecue, they haven't had a barbecue in a long time. Okay, can't blame them, they want a barbecue. 
And they're coming to Moshe Rabbeinu in the desert, complaining that they need meat. They're tired of the mud. Moshe Rabbeinu seems to be not knowing where to go with this. He has no meat. It's a desert. There's no meat in the desert. So he tells Hashem, I can no longer carry this nation on my own. I can't do it. It's heavier than I can handle. This was Moshe Rabbeinu's, we'll call it, plea or response to Hashem. I don't know what to do. He says, Where am I getting? Where am I getting? Meet for these people. Hashem tells him, Esfali Shivaim Ish. He says, I want you to gather 70 men, Mizikne Yisrael. These should be from the elders. And they're going to help you lead these people. It's too heavy for you, it's too much for you. We'll get you 70 elders, wise people, that will help you lead the nation. But listen to these words. Hashem tells them, Ve'atzalti min haruach asher alecha. I will take from the spirit that is now on you, Ve'samti alehem, and I will put it on them. Basically, Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, these people that are going to lead, they're going to need ruah. They're going to need help. I have to infuse them with ruah. So come here. You'll stand next to them. I don't know if they actually uh, stood next to each other. But I'm going to take from the spirit that's on you. And I'm going to transfer it to them. And the obvious question is, it seems to us that Hashem has plenty of ruah to go around. Why did Hashem have to take Ruach from Moshe and give it to them. Why not just give them more Ruach and leave Moshe? What do you want from his Ruach? Leave him alone. Hashem tells him, no, I'm taking from your Ruach and giving it to them. And the answer, and it's quite important this answer, is that Hashem will only give a person Ruach, will only give you the ability when you have the responsibility. And according to your responsibility, that's how much He will give you. It doesn't matter who you are. You could be Moshe Rabbeinu, or you could be not Moshe Rabbeinu. The way Hashem designed the world of nature is, that Hashem has plenty of Ruach to go around. He has plenty of energy for you. He has plenty of talent for you. He has plenty of accomplishments that he can give you the capability to do. He has plenty to give you. But you need to figure out how to get it. Because it's a world of free choice. Hashem is not going around giving out ruhot. He's not saying, here, you take some, here's a little gift, here's more. He's not doing that. There's a button that you need to press. And the better and stronger you press it, the more ruach you're going to get. It's like a vending machine. Except that this vending machine, you can't put quarters. Imagine, 
You can go right now, you can go home, and you can go to a vending machine in your house, and in that vending machine, there's all kinds of strength, and all kinds of ability and talent and ability to accomplish. That would be something. So luckily for us, it doesn't take money. You don't need money. Not even a quarter. In order to be able to get the ruach from the vending machine, it's available to all of us. You need to do one thing. You need to take responsibility. When Hashem sees that you took responsibility, He will give you the ability to do what you took responsibility for. That's your nickel. That's your quarter. You put that quarter in the vending machine, you take responsibility for something, and all of a sudden, Hashem is filling you up with ruach. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, I no longer could do this myself. Hashem says, well, listen to me. I have given you enough ruach to handle this entire nation. Because you had the responsibility by yourself of the entire nation. Now that you're going to split it with others, I'm going to have to take that ruach away. I'm going to have to go and give it from you to them. Because according to the responsibility, that is how much ability we will have in life. You know, most of us, when we think about doing something, getting involved in something, the first thing we ask ourselves is, well, are we able? Do we have the capability? Are we talented enough? Are we smart enough? Are we strong enough? But here we're learning that really, it doesn't work like that. Most people, they only take responsibility when they feel they have the ability. When they feel they can do it, when they're comfortable with it. But we're learning today that it's really the opposite. It doesn't work like that. It's when you take the responsibility that Hashem will give you that ability. You need to step up. You need to feel the ahrayut. That's the word in Hebrew for responsibility. Ahrayut, take that on. And Hashem will give you much more than you currently have. He will give you the ruah. Another example of this, by the Egel, we all know the story of the Egel. Moshe Rabbeinu is 40 days in Har Sinai, in Shamayim, getting the Torah. On the 40th day, Hashem tells him, Moshe, Lech Red, go down. Ki shihet amecha, your nation has messed up. Our rabbis are bothered. What does that mean, lech red? Go down. Just say lech. Hashem knows how to bring him wherever he needs to go. Why does he use the word red, go down? Comes Rashi and says in the words of Hazal, red megdulatcha. Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm, in, I'm sorry to inform you that your greatness has gone down. You're not the same Moshe Rabbeinu anymore. Now Moshe Rabbeinu is in Har Sinai. He's in Shamayim. 
He didn't do anything. Hashem tells him, Red migdulatcha. You're no longer as great as you were yesterday. Why? What did I do? I didn't do anything. He says, Shekol gedula shenatati lecha. Whatever greatness I gave you, Bishvil Yisrael, it's because they needed that from you. Because you took responsibility for them and they need more from you on their level. But now that they went down, they don't even deserve what I gave you to give them. So if they're no longer going to get from you, then you no longer need it. Which means that the amount of energy and greatness that a person gets is also dependent on those who they take responsibility for. That's why the Gemara says a very interesting Gemara. The Gemara says there was a great rabbi, his name was Rabbi Hanina. Look at what Rabbi Hanina says. He says, Harbe Lamati Merabotai. He says, I learned a lot of Torah from my rabbis. And from my friends, my Havrutot, Yoter Mirabotai. I even learned more from my friends than I learned from my rabbis. You spend a lot of time with your Havruta. From your rabbi, you get a Shi'ur once in a while. But you're learning mostly with your Havruta. He says, I learned more from my Havruta than from my rabbis. But then he says a very shocking statement. He says, But I learned most from my students. Now that's very hard to understand. Could you imagine trying to hire a teacher or a rabbi and he comes in to interview and says, so tell me, what did you learn? You know, I said, I had a, I had a few rabbis, I have a ton, but the most that I learned from my students, you probably wouldn't hire them. You learned the most from your students? What kind of rabbi are you? I want a rabbi who learned from his rabbis. What does it mean you learned the most from your students? You're supposed to be teaching your students. They're coming to learn from you. How could you learn from them? And not only he learned from them, he says, I learned the most from them. What does that mean? Well, according to our principles today, it's a beautiful fit. You see, when a rabbi comes into a classroom, and I will tell you it's not only a rabbi, it could be a teacher of any subject. When you walk into a classroom and you take the responsibility, not every teacher does and not every rabbi does. But if you go into a class and you take the responsibility of the subject that needs to be taught to these children, or these young men or young ladies. If you take that ahrayut, that responsibility, then you are the conduit for those students. Now all of a sudden in the middle of class, a student raises their hand. He says, Rabbi, I didn't understand that pasuk. There's a question on that pasuk. That doesn't make sense what you said. Look what it says in the words. And all of a sudden the rabbi looks and says, Oh man, that's a great question. And really, he never heard the question before in his life. 
He never even had the question, maybe embarrassingly. Never even asked the question. But all of a sudden, the student is looking to his rabbi to get the answer. You know what happens in every classroom where there is a teacher taking responsibility? And you could ask any teacher you want, and they will tell you this. They will explain to you that somehow, miraculously, that the teacher or the rabbi gets the answer. While the student's asking the question, all of a sudden, a thought comes up to his mind, and he says, you know what, maybe this is the answer. And the students are looking and saying, whoa, what a genius. Look at that rabbi. He thought about all these questions, and he has answers for them. And they're shooting this question and that question, and he's giving answers to all of them. The rabbi looks so smart and so brilliant. But I'm going to tell you firsthand, it's happened to me dozens, maybe hundreds of times, where you go into a class, and you're somewhat prepared, but you're not very prepared, and they're throwing these bombs at you, and all of a sudden, God's giving you the answers. And you walk out and you look like a genius. How does it work? You never learned that before. You never even asked that question before. How are you able to answer these questions? The answer is, When your Talmidim, that you're responsible for, are asking you questions, and you feel the responsibility of your Talmidim, then Hashem will give you that ability for them. That's what Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, Lech Red. I gave you enough ability because they needed much more than they need today. So now that they went down, you don't need that anymore. So Lech Red. You're not going to have as much as you had yesterday. So not only does Hashem give Ruach according to how much responsibility I have, but it's also determined by the student or by the recipient of my responsibility how much they can handle. Hashem will give you according to what they need. Which explains, by the way, a very beautiful Gemara. Gemara that I'm sure you will all be very happy to hear. The Gemara says, very interesting Gemara, I don't know how, exactly how to apply it in real life, but I'm going to tell you what it says without going too deep into it. Is somebody out there making noise now? Says the Gemara in Masechet Hulim. The Gemara is talking about how a person should deal with his spending habits. So the Gemara says when it comes to, to food and drink, how much should a person eat? Should you eat less than you need? Should you eat more than you need? Should you eat less than you need? Or according exactly to what you need? The Gemara says you should eat and drink less than you can afford. That's good news. It's good for all diets. I mean, no matter how much you can afford, eat less. 
You don't have to eat according to your capability of finance. Nice. Good advice. Now when it comes to clothing, says so how much should I spend on my clothing? Right? There's, um, 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 should I be spending less than I can afford? More? The same? Says the Gemara, ve'yilbash ve'yitkaseh b'mashiyashon. Meaning you should spend for clothing according to your level. Meaning if you can afford more, you're allowed to spend a little more. Okay? Everybody on their level. Nice. Now the Gemara says, look, how much should you give your wife and children? That's the last question. Nice, I think you like that. You don't know the answer yet, Eli. Hold on. No talking, please. No talking. Says the Gemara, when it comes to your wife and children, you have to give them yoter mimashi yeshlo. You have to give them more than you have. So the truth is, when you read the Gemara originally, I didn't know that was one of the options. I thought the only option would be either less or according to what you can afford. You never imagined that you would be obligated to give someone more than you can afford. How could that be? If I can't, if I don't have it, how can I spend it? How can I give my wife and children if I don't have it? What does that mean? Give them more than you have. You don't have it. So the Gemara answers by says, Shehen teluhinbo. What do you mean? They rely on you. You're their only address for what they need. Which means that if you felt the responsibility of the needs of your children, since they need you and you feel that ahayut, then Hashem will give you enough to give them. Maybe you're not feeling enough responsibility for them. Maybe you're not taking that ahrayut seriously. But if you realize that they are totally dependent on you, there's nobody else. It's your job to feed them and to give them and to make them happy. If you felt that ahrayut, Hashem will give you more. Don't say, I don't have. You don't have because you're not realizing your responsibility. You think now, what does it matter why they need this? Maybe they can get it from somewhere else. Maybe get it from grandpa. Maybe get it from my, their father, from their mother. But if you felt the responsibility yourself, then you can give them more than what you have. Because when Hashem gives that ruach, it's not only according to what you need to succeed, it also is according to what the people you're responsible for need. The more they need, if you're responsible for them, Hashem will give you to give them. That is why, very interesting, there's a pasuk. So when Moshe Rabbeinu told Hashem, I don't have meat to give all these people. He tells Hashem, 
Why have you put, put this burden on me? He says, was I pregnant with these people? Did I give birth to them? He tomar elai that you say to me, carry them like a mother carries a child? He says, where do I have meat to give this entire nation? So all of this makes sense when Moshe Rabbeinu turns to Hashem and says, where do I have meat? That makes sense. Why does he say that I give birth to them? Was I pregnant with them? What does that have to do with anything? That's not relevant. Bottom line is you don't have meat. Let's say you were pregnant with them, Moshe Rabbeinu. Let's say you gave birth to all of them. Would that change this conversation? Why are you bringing in something that is irrelevant? But if Moshe Rabbeinu says it, it must be relevant. So why does he say it? And the answer is because Moshe Rabbeinu understands something that we're learning today. That there's nothing beyond Hashem's capability and there's nothing beyond His Ruach. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, if I was their mother, then I would feel the ahrayut of a mother. The responsibility of a mother is to feed her children and to give them their needs. If I gave birth to them, then I would feel that responsibility. If I had the responsibility of a mother, then I can find meat in a desert where there's no meat. Because that would be my ahrayut. But I didn't give birth to them. I'm not their mother. I don't have the responsibility of a mother. So how am I getting them all this food that they're looking for? Again, you see, according to your responsibility, that's how much ability Hashem will give you. It's well known, the famous saying, that one mother can take care of 10 children. But 10 children cannot take care of one mother. So I'm sure you can give your own reasons why. But I'm going to give you a reason today, which is, I think, probably the main reason. The reason why one mother could take care of 10 children is because there's only one mother. Since she's the only mother, so she takes the responsibility of 10 children. Hashem gives her the ability to handle 10 children. You know, some people who have one child look at those who have five children and say, I don't know how they do it. You know, I can't deal with this one. He's driving me crazy. Five like these? And then you have people who have triplets. Triplets? You might as well go to Bellevue for that. Trip, could you imagine? Three times this guy? This guy that's driving me nuts. I can't sleep at night. Three times him? Impossible. How can I take out triplets? You have people who have five children, and they hear about someone who has 15 children. So, oh my gosh, that, that means... 
15. How do you take care of 15 children? You can't imagine taking care of 15 children. And the truth is, the one who has five children cannot take care of 15 children. And the one who has one child cannot take care of five. And the one who doesn't have triplets cannot take care of triplets. You can't do it because you don't have the responsibility. But if you have five, all of a sudden, Hashem gives you the ability. Hashem gives you money that you didn't have. Hashem gives you strength you never thought was even possible. Hashem gives you patience you never thought was anywhere near you. And when you have five, you get more. And when you have 15, you get more. Because according to how much responsibility you take, that's how much Ruah Hashem gives you. Remember, we're all basar, we're just a piece of meat. Really, we have ability for nothing. It's only what Hashem gives us. So when does Hashem give us? When we take the responsibility. When there are 10 children looking around, looking at each other, saying, well, you know, he could do it, she could do it. Well, why is it all on me? We're all in this together. That is considered a lack of responsibility. And because they don't have the responsibility of one for ten, they cannot handle even one. Because they shared the responsibility of ten kids for one mother. That means Hashem gave them ruach, just one-tenth of what they could do for that woman. According to the responsibility is the ability. Perhaps that's what the Pasuk means in Tehillim that I'm sure you've said many times. David HaMelech says, almost shockingly to all of us, he says, Tenu Oz Lelokim. Ladies and gentlemen, give Oz to Hashem. What does Oz mean? Give Him thank you? No. Give him praise? No. Give him a korban? No. What does Oz mean? Oz means give him strength. Give Hashem strength. Have you ever heard anything that seems so far-fetched as that? I can give Hashem a thank you. I can give him a korban. I can do a mitzvah for him. I can take care of one of his children. I should give him strength. Oh, was that a mistake? Tenu oz, give Hashem strength. What does that mean? But according to what we're learning today, the meaning is as follows. Is that anything that a mother or father wouldn't want to give their children if they need it. Of course not. You would give your child anything if you can. Well, Hashem loves us more than a father or mother love their child. So if we need something, wouldn't He give it to us? 
Of course you can. You ever felt in life like, hey, Hashem, come on. You have all the strength. Just give it to me. You have all the money. Come on. You have everything. Just give it to me. Why are you doing this to me? Don't you have the strength to give me the ruach that I need? How many times in life do we need that ruach? In so many areas. Financial, emotional, wisdom. We need so much ruach. Hashem, give it to me. Come on, I'm your son. Don't you love me? You know what Hashem will tell you? I feel weak. What? Hashem, you feel weak? What do you mean? You're the generator of all, you're the generator of the entire world's energy. What does that mean? You're weak. Hashem says to you, no, no. The way I set up the world is as follows. I can only give you the strength when you take on the responsibility. If you don't take on the responsibility, then you weaken me to give you the strength. Says David Melech, be smart. Tenu oz Give Hashem the strength. Let Him help you. Let Him give you what you need to succeed. Let, let Him give you all the ruah that you are capable of keeping inside of you. So how do I do that? Take responsibility. That's the button. You gotta press responsibility. And all of a sudden, Hashem all of a sudden becomes Oz. He becomes strong to give you all of what you need to succeed. You know, the midah of responsibility, this midah called Ahrayut. According to some rabbis, it's the foundation and the essence of a great person. In fact, those two words, ahrayut, responsibility, and gadlut, greatness, are hand in hand. Where there's responsibility, there's great success. And where there's great success, there must have been responsibility. They go hand in hand. If we feel weak in life, if we feel like we're not able to do more and we're not doing enough, we can point to the button that's not being pressed hard enough. It's possible you're not taking enough responsibility. You feel weak. You feel like you're not accomplishing enough. Not enough responsibility. You press the responsibility button, all of a sudden there's a reservoir of gadlut, of greatness, that jumps at you. And by the way, I just want you to know, you know, sometimes we talk about things that you have to acquire. But it's good news when I tell you that responsibility, this feeling of ahrayut, is natural and is something that we're all born with. You don't have to shop for it. You don't have to buy it anywhere. It's natural. Look around the world. Look around the world at people who are not religious, not God-fearing per se. They didn't learn it necessarily from books. Yet there are people around the world who are feeling responsibility for the global temperatures. What's going to be in 50 years from now? What's going to be in 100 years from now? 
Most of us will say 100 years from now, who cares if it's going to be 100 years from now? I'm going to be checked out. I'm out of here. No. But there are people out there who worry about the warming temperatures that might destroy the world in 100 years. I'm not about one person, two people. There are millions of people who are right now sitting worried about global warming. There are people worried about the ozone. There are people worried about the air, the quality of the air in the world. There are people worried about the reservations of oil and gas that they shouldn't run out. Are we preserving enough? There are people out there looking to find remedy for treat and treatment for diseases that they don't have. There are people worrying about a hundred years from now in so many different areas. What does that tell you? There are people worried about the whales. That makes sense. What does that make sense to you? There's a person right there, right now. He's worrying about the whales because the whales are lowering in number in the world. We need to save the whales. He's taking responsibility for whales. There is preservation of forests. You know how many, how many miles in the world today are being preserved because it's the natural preservation. How many animals are watched over probably better than some children are watched over because there is a natural feeling inside every human a feeling of responsibility. Not only for themselves, but for the world, and even for a hundred years from now. Now you might tell me, I see people that don't feel responsibility. It's true. You know, it's very similar to a person who wants to develop muscles. Imagine a person is very envious of someone else who has muscle. And he says, you know, I really would love those muscles. I gotta get those. Where do, you, where do you buy them? Goes to the guy saying, "Where do you shop for these?" He says, "Oh, it's, you can't. You can't shop for them. You can't get them." So what do you mean? I, I want to order them. I have money. You can't get it with money. So of course you'd feel frustrated because they're not for sale and there's not enough money in the world that's gonna buy you muscle. But then he tells you the best news of all is that the muscle you're looking for is already inside of you. When you go to the gym and you develop muscles, these muscles have been there before you went to the gym. But you'll say, but where are they? They're there. You just gotta get them open. It's all inside of you. You don't have to go purchase it. You don't have to go buy it. You don't have to go bargain for it. You have to beg for it. You just gotta work for it. That is very encouraging. That's why people go to the gym, because they know that their future muscle is already there. They just have to bring it out. Of course, if you don't work on your responsibility, it will stay dormant, it will stay weak, like a weak muscle. But all you have to do is start exercising it. It's something within you. It's not something outside of you. It's a muscle that Hashem gave every human. We have a natural feeling of responsibility. Of course, we can go to sleep with that and never bring it out and live a very irresponsible life. But to build, to build a responsible life, 
is something very close to home. You don't have to go chase it. It's right there. The muscle is sitting right inside of us. And when it comes to Am Yisrael, when it comes to a Jew, this responsibility takes on a whole new level. Our rabbis tell us, as the Torah teaches us, Kol Yisrael Arevim Zebazeh, that we are all responsible for each other. That is why a person who makes Kiddush on Shabbat, on Friday night, they already made Kiddush. They already fulfilled their obligation. But yet if they go to somebody else's home and that person didn't make Kiddush, they can say Kiddush again for them. But I already said Kiddush. I already read the Megillah. How can I say it for you? My obligation was already done. Answer is that when Hashem obligates us for Kiddush, it's not just my obligation for me. It's my obligation for you too. So, so long as there's somebody who didn't say Kiddush, I have the responsibility. And I could say, a beracha, asher kideshanu bemitzvotav vetzivanu. Hashem commanded me. Commanded me, I already did it. No, no. He commanded me not just for me. He commanded me for you too. We are all responsible for each other. In fact, if you study the Torah really well, you will realize that this level of responsibility perhaps is the essential difference between Yaakov and Isaac. We read a few weeks ago that there was something called a Bechorah. A Bechorah means a birthright. But it means more than just a sticker or a title. It's a responsibility. For example, today we have a Kohen. A Kohen is the leader of the Jewish people. He's our messenger. He's the one worried about the Jewish people's spiritual advancement. That's why the Kohanim never had towns. They didn't work in agriculture. Their job was to worry about the Jewish people. But you should know the Kohanim were really not the ones that were supposed to do it. it was supposed to be the firstborns. They were supposed to be the ones that would take on this job. But then it was transferred to the Kohanim. When Aisav had the Bechorah, when Aisav had this birthright, the birthright represented the responsibility of worrying about the spiritual nature of the entire world. That was like the Kohen Gadol, who's worried and, or needs to worry about the spiritual level of the Jewish people. The Bechorah represented that. The Bechorah belonged to Esav. He was the firstborn. Yaakov was not the firstborn. Yet Yaakov is looking to figure out a way how to get the Bechorah. What does he get with the Bechorah? He gets more responsibility. And Esav, it says, Vayivez Esav et Bechorah. Esav... He relinquished his birthright. He didn't have enough respect for his birthright. Why? Because he didn't want the responsibility. 
Rashi says that he asked Yaakov, tell me, this Bechorah that you're running after, what is it? It's not like he duked him, it's not like he sketched him, faked him. He asked him, what is it? What am I getting with this? He told him, it's a lot of work. And there's a lot of responsibility. Of course, with his responsibility, there's also perhaps punishment or he tells him all the different things that come with responsibility. Of course, if you're responsible for nothing, you don't have to worry about anything. But when you're responsible, you have to worry about this and about that and there are ramifications. And any failure is going to have major ramifications. So he told him, Aisav, the Bechorah represents work and responsibility. Aisav says, I don't need it. You could have it. So here you see the essential difference between a Yaakov and Aisav. Yaakov, we are Bnei Yaakov, Bnei Yisrael. Perhaps the essence of a Yehudi is that we not only understand Ahrayut, we run after Ahrayut. Even Ahrayut that we don't have, we want it. We appreciate it. We understand that it is Ahrayut that brings us to our greatness. Whereas Aisav is looking to get rid of his Ahrayut. He's looking to get rid of his responsibilities. That perhaps has defined the Jewish people more than any other characteristic in the last 3,300 years. It is no wonder that our nation, 3,300 years later, after Matan Torah, after the birth of our nation, is still going strong, is still building, is still writing books, is still doing some of the greatest things in this, that this world has to offer. And the historians can't understand. What is it? All the great nations of the world have basically fell apart. Today, all their children basically mixed with the rest of the world. We don't find the ancient Greeks today or the ancient Romans or Babylonians. We don't find all these great nations that were so powerful. They're no longer there. But Am Yisrael is still here. It's strong. And it's not like we had a central authority. We've been in exile for 2,000 years. All over the world we were dispersed. Communities 100 years ago had no connection with anyone else but their community. No central authority. No central government. No country. No land. How is it that we're sitting here today? And we're still holding the flag and we're growing and we're teaching and we're learning and we're writing books and we're... How? What happened to our nation? Historians can't figure it out. Where did we get that power? And I think perhaps more than anything else, of course we can answer the Torah. And of course that's a correct answer. But what is it about us? Perhaps it's our level of res responsibility, of ahrayut. That no matter where we are, we took responsibility for our children's education. Whether it's in the Holocaust, in the concentration camps, whether it's in Syria, or whether it's in Iraq, or in Morocco, or in Europe, whether it was 50 years ago, or a thousand years ago, whether they were friendly people around us, or very, very big enemies around us. We took responsibility 
that we're going to build schools no matter where we are on the run. Look at us here. We only landed in this country a hundred years ago. But the first thing we needed to do is figure out how we have schools and how we have built schools and how we make organizations. And How many hundreds of organizations does our community have right now in this country? We're not even a hundred years in this place. Ahrayut, responsibility. No matter where we go, no matter where our backs are turned, we feel that Ahrayut. And that is the strength of our people. That's the Yaakov in us. You should know that when I say that responsibility is the essence of the Jew, I have a source for it. To say words like that, you need a source. You can just make up things. You could say it's very important, it's very nice. To say it's the essence of a Jew, where did I get that from? That means if you look at yourself, someone asks you, so tell me, you're Yehudi? You say, yeah, of course. So tell me, what's your essence? I'm not sure what you would answer. You would say maybe family, maybe Torah, maybe, I don't know what you would say, kindness, heart. Listen to this Rambam. I find this Rambam to be so eye-opening. The Rambam says, he's talking in Sefer Mitzvot, he has a book that lists all the mitzvot, the Rambam does, and he's writing about the mitzvah of rebuking another Jew when you see them doing something wrong. According to the Torah, if I see someone doing something that's hurting them, I can't just keep walking. I have to tell them something. How to tell them, when to tell them. That's a strategy. Sometimes you can't tell them. It's not going to work. But the point is, you have to feel responsibility. If someone is doing something that's hurting themselves, you need to step up and figure out how to help them. Says the Rambam on this mitzvah, he says it's not proper that a person walks around and says, I'm doing good. I got educated. I have a good family that has the right values. I don't do anything wrong. Listen, what can I do if other people are not as privileged as I am? I'm good. That's a natural thing to say. I have money. What does it matter that they don't have? I mean, I wish they had money, but they don't. That's how it is. That's the world. I'm just smarter than others. My family is just better than others. What can I do? It's natural for a person to say, listen, it is, it is what it is. Says that Rambam, it's not proper for a Jew to say that. You look at yourself and you say, I'm good. I mean, you're good. And listen to these words. These words have to ring in your heart for the rest of your life. Listen to these words. The Rambam says, Zeh, this attitude, the attitude of, I'm good, it doesn't matter what the other person is experiencing or what they are, he says, Zeh, this attitude, is Hefech HaTorah. He said it's the opposite of Torah. 
Now, I was expecting that I'm about to say, Zeh davara. It's a bad thing. Zeh lo nachon. It's not right. Zeh lo matim. Look at the word that he uses. Zeh hefech ha-Torah. You see the Torah? The entire Torah? This attitude is the opposite of the Torah. That means the entire Torah is about responsibility. Is about ahrayut. Is about not saying it doesn't matter. So yes, the essence of a Yehudi is ahrayut. And to the level of ahrayut that a person takes, that's how large of a Yehudi he is. And who do we have to worry about? Yeah, the word ahrayut, responsibility, in Hebrew, ahrayut, the shoresh, the root of that word, is Aher. Aher means someone else. It means not about you. Ahrayut means I'm responsible for Aher, for others. That's what responsibility means. You know who the first Aher is? Who is the first Aher that you're responsible for? The first ahel you're responsible for is yourself. You're probably surprised to hear that. Rabbi, was that a mistake? Did you mean that? I'll say it again. The first ahel that you're responsible for is yourself. But wait, myself, that's not called an ahel. That's called ani. Why are you calling myself an Aher? Let me share with you a Midrash. A very beautiful Midrash. That needs to find its place somewhere in our soul. The Midrash says, commenting, why when the Malach came to Abraham by the Akedah, the Pasuk says the Malach came to Abraham and told him, Vayomer, he says, Abraham, Abraham. He called him twice, Abraham. Vayomer, Hineni, here I am. The Midrash says, why does the Malach have to say the word Abraham twice? Why not once? Simply it means it's a language of love. When you call someone Abraham, Abraham. But the Midrash feels there's more to it than love here. So the Midrash says that when Hashem creates a person, every single person, on the day of their birth, they're sent down in this world with a neshama, a neshama that is clothed with a goof, with a body. When they send down the neshama, there is another neshama there's an image of that neshama in Shamaim that they leave up there with them in the safety deposit box. 
That neshama is a little different than the neshama they send. The neshama they send is the raw neshama. The raw material neshama. The neshama they keep in the safety deposit box is the potential of that neshama. Of what that neshama can become. And the neshama's job in this world is to do what it takes to reach the image of the neshama in shamayim. That is why by the akedah, that was a moment when Abraham reached his potential. And there was a match of the neshama of Abraham and Abraham. And that is why they called him Abraham, Abraham. You reached your potential. Atayadati, now I know of your greatness. Now you realize your greatness. You know who the Aher of you is? Your neshama up there. Each and every one of us has a responsibility to that great neshama that's sitting in Shamayim. That we turn ourselves into that. Responsibility starts with yourself. To be responsible over what you do. Never say, this is who I am. I was born this way. I just get angry all the time. What can I do? I'm just not a happy person by nature. I'm just lazy by nature. I wasn't educated. What can I do? They didn't give me an education. Responsibility for yourself means that it's your responsibility. You got angry. Don't blame it on others. Don't say, well, if my husband was normal, I wouldn't get angry. So he makes me angry. If my children were well behaved, they make me crazy. No, no, no. You allow yourself to become crazy. You allow yourself to let others make you angry. It's very hard to swallow that. It's much easier to say, it's everybody else's fault. But in reality, it's a lack of responsibility. Hashem gave us the keys to our future. Nobody else has those keys. Don't blame anybody else. You make a mistake, own it. It's yours. By the way, that was the first story in the Torah. The first story of the Torah is not about a man and his wife who ate from the forbidden fruit. That's what most people will say. The first story is a man and his wife. They ate from the forbidden fruit. We've been learning that from when we were two years old. No, that wasn't the story. You missed the message. After they ate from the fruit, 
God did not come and say, oh, you ate from the fruit? Oh, no. You're out of here. That's not what happened. Hashem tells him, Adam, tell me. Did you eat from the fruit? He says, not my fault. Your fault. You know that shiduch that you made for me? That lady, she's not easy. She gave me. Your fault. If you would have given me a normal wife, I could have been somebody. How many men feel like that? I had a normal wife. I could be someone. And then he turns to the woman and says, hey, did, did you eat? God knows if they ate. What did he ask them for? He wants to see. Are they willing to own it? She says, no, no, it wasn't me. God, not me. That nahash that you made. Stop making these things around us. They're driving us crazy. Not my fault. Hashem says, oh, you're out of Ganeda. The forbidden fruit didn't earn them out of Ganeda. If that was the case, Hashem would say, you're out of Ganeda. Hashem wanted to see. He just said, okay, you made a mistake, it's fine. Could you take responsibility? Could you say, I did it, please? Could you say, it's my fault? Could you say, I got angry? Could you say, I did this wrong? Could you do it? Adam and Haba couldn't do it. Because it's not easy to do. It's not easy for a person to say, it's my fault. It's much more comfortable to blame circumstance. If I would have, if I could have, if something, if my father did this, or my mother was like that, if I grew up in a normal home, if I went to a normal school, if I had normal rabbis, if I had... It, it doesn't end. It's so much easier living that way. That's why I sub loved that. I sub wanted to live with no responsibility. Whatever it is, it's not my fault. I don't have to worry about it. Go to sleep at night worrying about myself. Come on, it's not my problem. But that's what it's about. That's where Gadlut is. It's the first address of responsibility is yourself. You're the first Aher. You're the first address. Your greatness is waiting for you. You know the calm you? The happy you? All the greatness that we can attach to you, it's there. You just gotta go get it. But you're not gonna get it if you're not responsible. Hashem didn't make it for somebody else. He made it for you. That's your first ahrayut. The second ahrayut is for your family. Those who are closer to you. There's a reason why he's your child. There's a reason why she's your sister. Why he's your brother. There's a reason why she's your mother. Why she's your father. People might say, just because she's my sister, I have to take care of her. Yes. Hashem is the one who put you in that situation because you're responsible for that person. That's what the Torah taught us by Hashavat Aveda. Imagine a person walking the streets. They're busy, they have their own life, they have their own business. They're going somewhere and all of a sudden they see a lost object. 
Now, if you learned the laws of lost objects, of how you have to take care of them, and how far you have to go to return them, if you know the laws really well, the first thing you want to do when you see a lost object is make believe you never saw it. <laughs> because it's a headache. Who wants another headache? I have enough headaches in my life. Now i got to go deal with somebody else's lost object. And the first thing that will come to your mind is, and you know, by, by the way, just because I happened to see it first, I mean, if I walked in here a second before this or later, somebody else would see it. So just because I saw it, so I have to go return it, you know what? I never saw it and keep walking. The Torah knows that that's our nature. Torah says by that mitzvah of hashavat abeda, lo tuchalehit alem. You cannot ignore the lost object. I know the first thing you're going to say is, why me? I have enough headaches. Why me? Let the other person. Just because I happen to be here, Hashem says, yes. It's not just because. It was placed here for you. Because it's your responsibility. I give out responsibilities. And this is now yours. Yes, your mother is your mother. She might be difficult. She might be complicated. But it's your mother. You could wish you had a different mother. But you don't. Hashem gave you that woman. It's your father. It's your grandfather. And... It's your children. It's your family. You can't say, well, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. How many times have you heard someone say that? I didn't sign up for this. Let me correct you. They didn't ask you to sign for anything. You didn't sign up for anything. You think you signed up before you came to this world? When did you sign? When did they ask you for your signature? Don't give yourself too much credit. You didn't sign. They just threw you down here and they put you in somebody's house. The house they thought would be the right one for you. And they gave you all the family that's right for you. It's your responsibility. And then you have to be responsible for other people. Ahir, somebody else. Your neighbor. Your friends. Now, of course, there's an order. You can't be responsible for your neighbor before you're responsible for yourself. You can't help the guy in Africa before you help your sister. Unfortunately, we do that. Because sometimes it's easier to help the Jew in Africa. The guy in my, my block, I don't know, he's a little, little weird. It's easier. He never upset you, he never bothered you, never got on your nerves. There's an order to responsibility. If we help people in our community, it's not because we're less responsible for other people. It's just because there's a priority in responsibility. The priority says, you go first. After you, your family. After you, others. By the way, the very word ahrayut says that. Because the first letter in the word Aharayut is Aleph. Aleph is Ani. And then there's Het. 
which spells ah, your brother, your family. And then the next letter is resh, which spells aher, which spells somebody else. There's an order. And by the way, the next letter is a yud, it's aharai. Aharai means when you take responsibility, you become someone worthy of leadership. Aharai means follow me. And then there's a vav too, by the way. Aharav. Aharav means if you don't know how to follow others, you can't lead others. You want aharai? Who do you follow? You can't lead until you follow. And notice how the word ahrayut starts with an aleph and ends with a tau. Because of a person of responsibility, he not only starts, but they know how to finish. A lot of people could start, but somewhere along the way, they just fall off because they didn't take responsibility. Ahrayut means you do something, you finish it. Aleph till tav. The very word ahrayut gives us so much strength to realize what we need to do. The Jewish people, by the way, are responsible for the entire world. Hashem the Midrash says, if you don't teach the world, Hashem says, I'm going I'm to hold you accountable for that. You need to be there for the world. Of course, your family first. Of course, you first. But you're responsible for the world too. We have, a, we have an obligation that we should live in a life that spreads beauty to the world. That when they look at us and they say, wow, this is what a human is supposed to look like? I never knew, I never saw such a person. I never saw such values. I never saw such quality. I never saw such calmness. I never saw such wisdom. I never saw such sacrifice. I never saw such a family. You know what Hashem calls us? Am Yisrael, He calls us Beni Bechori Yisrael. You're my Bechor. What does that mean, you're my Bechor? You're my firstborn. Amongst the nations, you're my firstborn. You know what that means? You know, the firstborn, usually, if you raise the good firstborn, takes on the responsibility to help the parents. So much help can come to a family when the firstborn is quality. It helps the father and mother with the children. Whether they help by example, or they help in a real way of helping, whether it's teaching, whether it's cleaning, whether it's talking, the firstborn is not just you were born first. The firstborn is a responsibility. It's an ahrayut. Lucky is the family that has a firstborn that took that responsibility. It helps the parents. You could see sometimes firstborns turn around an entire family. 
What the parents couldn't do, the firstborn did. I mean, any child can do, but the firstborn has that ahrayut, has that stature. Hashem says, you know who helps me in the world? Beni Bechori Yisrael. You, Am Yisrael, are my Bechor. You're supposed to help me make this world a much holier place, a much kinder place, a much more beautiful place. And by the way, it could be, it could be that the neshama and the soul of the goyim around us know that. You've all been to school. You saw a teacher that didn't care about you. Didn't care about his job. and Didn't care about his students. You didn't like that teacher. I bet the teachers that you remember are the ones that cared about you. And cared about giving you what they needed to give you. They were invested in you. You love that teacher. You know when Am Yisrael is loved in the world? When they're a good teacher. When they're taking their responsibility. The students of the world know when the teacher cares about them and cares about the quality of this world that we live in. And when the teacher is not doing so well, when the teacher is not doing his job when the teacher is acting like the student, the student somehow feels this is no good. This doesn't make sense. Why is that guy not doing his job? Perhaps we can find the hatred of what's around us because we're not doing enough of a good job as Bani Bechori Yisrael. We are responsible for the entire world. And by the way, not just people. You know how Moshe Rabbeinu was tested for leadership? Who would have guessed what the Midrash says? The Midrash says Moshe Hashem tested him how he would take responsibility for the sheep. He saw a very thirsty sheep who was tired and he took him on his shoulders. I feel so bad here. Let me help you. Hashem says, that guy, he could lead my people. What what does sheep have to do with our people? It's ahrayut. Ahrayut means you're responsible for the world. David Amelach, the same story. Hashem tested him how he treated the animals. There was a great rabbi, Rabbi Levine. He writes in one of his books, I saw, that his rabbi one time saw him taking a leaf off a tree for no reason. And he gave it to him. He says, this is your world. Why are you taking the leaf off the tree for no reason? It's a beautiful tree. Why are you doing that? The world is our responsibility. Obviously, we're responsible for ourselves and families before the whales. But the whales too. We are responsible for the whales. And we are responsible for the trees. And we are responsible for the entire world. Hashem told Adam Arishon, here's my world, be careful, don't destroy it. You're responsible. 
There's an order. If you're saving whales before you're saving humans, it's a problem. But you are responsible for the entire world. I will end off by telling you the following. You have to be careful when Hashem sends you opportunities, like Hashavat Avedah. There are different types of Hashavat Avedah. Hashem sends us opportunities in life to step up. You may get that phone call to open your home, or you may get that phone call to get involved in somewhere in, in the school or in the yeshiva to get involved in an organization or to do something. You may just get that opportunity. It's called an ait. Ait means a moment. You may have that moment in your life. It doesn't always happen. You, you don't always find a lost object in the street. You can't plan a lost object. But don't worry, you're going to get one. And you have to know when you have that opportunity, it became now yours. It's your achrayut. Don't be like those people who say, well, I don't know if I could do it. You only can't do it because you're not taking responsibility. Now, of course, there are certain things that we can't do. There are obviously certain things that are beyond us. And we have to have the right balance. I don't mean you do everything someone tells you. But there are many things that we can do, but we kind of like chicken out. Say, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. And remember, responsibility brings ability. Take responsibility. You'll be able to do it. And it will bring you tremendous beracha. Hashem will send you the ruach. Not just for this. He'll send you ruach for other things too. Who doesn't want ruach? Who doesn't need ruach? That's what happened by Esther and Malka. Esther and Malka, she had the opportunity to save Am Yisrael. It wasn't easy. She had to take a risk. She wasn't sure if she should do it. And Mordechai told her, he says, listen to these words. He says, you think Hashem needs you? So let's get something straight, Esther. Hashem doesn't need you. Let's get that straight. Hashem doesn't need you. If not you, somebody else. But he says, this is your moment. Listen to these words. Umi yodea. And who could know? Im le'et kazot. He got la malchut. And who knows? If all these years that you were a malka, all these years was just a setup, was just a stage for this moment. What an unbelievable thing. That means Hashem could send you something that you'll experience for 10 years just to get you to a moment. And that's the moment. See, this is your moment. And of course, Esther took the responsibility of Am Yisrael on her. And guess who they listened to when they were told to fast on Pesach for three days? That's not easy telling the Jewish people to fast on Pesach. You know how many people are going to argue with you? What? Fesa? Fast? Are you kidding? Let's fast after Fesa. Which rabbi is going to get up and convince the entire Jewish nation they should fast on Pesa? Well, Mordechai couldn't do it. But Esther did it. She told them, go tell them in my name. They have to fast. 
You know why they listen to her? Because she took responsibility for them. Everybody knows who is taking responsibility. And everyone knows who they need to be under whose umbrella. They understood that. Never say, I don't know, it's too much, I can't. I'm going to finish off with this story. Listen to this story. I cannot tell you this story. I told you many times ago, you could leave whatever you want. <laughs> I don't have a time, I don't have a clock, I just talk. I don't get offended, really. I know this, but I don't get offended. <laughs> There is a very famous man quoted in a very famous Gemara. His name is Yehoshua ben Gamla. Remember that name? Yehoshua ben Gamla in Masechet Baba Batra is mentioned as, listen to these words. We don't always say these words about people. It says, Beram Zachur Oto Haish Letov. There was a man that we always have to remember him for good. The guy did so much good, we have to remember him. Who is he? Yehoshua ben Gamla Shemo. Yehoshua ben Gamla is his name. What did he do? She'il malehu. If not for this man, nishtakeyah Torah mi Israel. The Torah would have been forgotten from the Jewish people. Wow. What, what did he do? So the Gemara goes and explains how he was the pioneer of Talmudet Torah. The Jewish day schools that we have them today, Talmudet Torah, teach our children in an organized way. You come to school when you're four, when you're five, you're six, yeah. That was not always the case. Used to be a father taught his children. That's the way they did it. He was the first one who said we need schools. And he opened up schools. And to him we have to thank for all of the success through these years. Yoshua ben Gamla. Beautiful. What a great man. Everyone knows this Gemara. Well, everyone who is somewhat knowledgeable of Shas. But the Gemara they don't know as well is the Gemara in Masechet Yoma. The Gemara in Yoma says that there was a time in Am Yisrael. We, by the way, we say this on, on Yom Kippur when we read the Avodah. The Mishnah says that they used to prepare the Kohen Gadol before Yom Kippur to get him ready for the Avodah, for the service of Yom Kippur. And it says they would teach him and they would tell him, you should read it. Read it. Maybe you forgot. So maybe just catch up on things. Review. Maybe you never learned. The Gemara says, what? What kind of Kohen Gadol is a guy who never learned? Imagine they took an Amma'ares to put him a Kohen Gadol. How can they tell him that? Gemara says, no, this is Bait Sheni, the second Beit HaMikdash. There was a time period where they used to bribe their way to be a Kohen Gadol. They were ignorant. They were not even good guys. They just bribed their way in. And the Gemara gives an example of someone who bribed himself in. The Gemara said there was a woman, Marta Bad Baitos, very wealthy, Almana, who got married to this guy. His name is Yehoshua Ben Gamla. She married him, and she paid Yenai HaMelech 
that he should be the Kohen Gadol Amaret. So when you read that Gemara, this man doesn't sound like a very big tzaddik. A man who's paying his way to be the Kohen Gadol, we would not call him. Imagine a guy who paid himself to be the chief rabbi. That's not a guy that we would love so much. That guy is the guy that we say, well, what a guy. He built the entire system of schools. How could it be? So the Ritba in Masechet Yoma, where the great Rishonim says, some explained there were two Yoshua ben Gamas. Two was not the same guy. He says there was Yoshua ben Gamliel, not Gamla. Okay, that's one explanation. Obviously, the Ritba has difficulty. How could they be the same person? But the Ritba says, and the Sfat Emet brings this Ritba. The Ritba says, but some say it was the same one. But when he got into his position, he elevated himself and became the great Yeshua ben Yama. How did that happen? So I can tell you how it happened. It happened, you know, I imagine, I always tell people, I said, imagine tomorrow they would make you head of the yeshiva. 2,000 children, they say, you know what? You're a great woman. You are now the head of this yeshiva. You're the head of the school. You're a great man. You're the Rosh Yeshiva. You say, me? What do I? No. We took, we, we need you. Nobody else wants to do it. We want you. You have no choice. So you go. And you become the Rosh Yeshiva. How would you act the first day? I bet you would dress different. I bet you would talk more carefully. I bet you would do everything more carefully. Why? Right. You have a new responsibility. What does it mean? You feel the responsibility of 2,000 children. You're a different person. Perhaps that's what happened with Yehoshua ben Gamla. It's true, he got in there and he wasn't ra'ui, he wasn't fit. But once he was a Kohen Gadol, he felt the responsibility of what it means to be a Kohen Gadol. When he felt that responsibility, it empowered him. And all of a sudden he started worrying about the Jewish people. And he thought of great ideas of how to help them. Never say, oh, I, I don't know if I'm fit for that office. I'm not fit for that position. You're not fit because you're not there. But if you would take the responsibility, you'll become fit. You'll get the ruach. That's what we need. We need people. We don't need talented people. We don't need smart people. We need responsible people. Because they will get the ruach to their basar. Hashem will give it to them. Hashem gives us opportunities. Hashem gives us situations. Hashem gives us gifts. We always have to look at our gifts. Hashem gave me money. Why? Hashem gave me popularity. Why? Hashem gave me the ability. Why? What did He give it to me for? What do I need it for? He gave it to you. Because it's your responsibility. It's your assignment. That's what you need to accomplish with. It's, Hashem doesn't give gifts in life. Hashem gives assignments. If He gave you something, it's your assignment. Because you have what to do with it. It's your ahrayut. It's your homework. How do you know your homework? Look what Hashem gave you. Look at the family He gave you. Look at the money He gave you. Look at the chokmah He gave you. Look at the situations that you're in. Whatever it might be. He gave it to you? Step up. You know, I've learned over the years such an unbelievable thing. That great communities are not built by great communities. There is no person called community. Great communities are built by great people. Great individuals that stepped up and took aharayut, took responsibility, 
There is nobody called a community. It's you. It's your responsibility. This is our legacy. What we take responsibility for is our legacy in life. Be careful and look out where you could take more responsibility. Because the more ahrayut, the more gadlut, the more greatness because Hashem gives you more ruach. Of course, there's an order. Ahrayut. That's how it works. But it will take the image down here that was put in this world and it will make it fly. And one day, we also can be zocheh where they will say, oh wow, Moshe, Moshe, Yosef, Yosef, Abraham, Abraham, Sarah, Sarah, Rivka, Rivka. That's my beracha to all of you. Amen. To live a life of achrayut and gadlut. Amen. Amen. Baruch Amen. 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 Amen.